Dr. Narcisse, thanks for joining me on the podcast today. And um, yeah, you're the superintendent of the East Baton Rouge schools and have been there for about a year, I believe. Um, and we'd love to, to jump right in and just hear from you about when did you know that this leadership stuff was for you? Yeah, so, um, you know, it's interesting. Um, I think that's always an interesting question <laughs> because I always feel like um, uh, just to be where I am today, I am always feel fortunate. Um, um, you know, if you had told me, you know, the, the kid that grew up in New York, just outside the city with braids in his hair, baggy jeans and Timberland boots would one day become a, the superintendent of the second largest district in Louisiana, I would tell you, no, that's not true. Probably some of the people who uh, taught me probably would have like, you know, had one eye up, one eye down. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> um, but, you know, I, I always feel fortunate. Um, I, I probably didn't start thinking, first of all, let me just say, I didn't even know what a superintendent was, to be honest with you. <laughs> um, when I was, uh, I remember that I got, I got into teaching uh, just saying I wanted to teach when I was actually in college. I met a, a woman named Dr. Elaine McAllister, who I still keep in touch with now, who was, I was complaining to her about something because I was like helping this kid do some tutoring stuff and the kid couldn't read. Um, and as I was doing some support, I was like mad. I told her, I was like, why, why they let this kid get through all these grades and they can't read and you know and, and that really like frustrated me a little bit um um so you know that's how i even got into like oh i want to uh you know i went to complain to her and she said well what do you want to do about it <laughs> and uh, she, and i said i don't know and she said why don't you go teach and she kind of put me in that pathway to to go into teaching um in terms of being a leader, I probably was sitting when I went to uh, for grad school. I went to a school called Vanderbilt in Nashville, mm -hmm. and when I was sitting at Vandy, I was sitting with all these kids in the classroom in grad school, and I was listening to them talk about like you know how do you help schools do this, how do you do that, and that's when it dawned on me like wait a minute, you know I, I think I could do this, you know. Um, I might be able to, you know, get into this work uh, to try to like help, you know, lead schools and stuff like that. Um, so that that was kind of my first, I guess, aha moment at that time. Um, I didn't know what it entailed. I didn't know what steps to take. But you know, at that time, I was like, I, could, I think I could do this. You know, I know I could work with kids. I could do this. You know, so. And and um, for you know for young people out there. That were in you know a similar situation who maybe not quite sure what the future holds for them. What, what what advice would you give them as as young people thinking about their future? Yeah, I I learned you know um, I would say to them just experience like you have to like one is don't be shy like try anything you know go out and try if, if something you have your mindset to try and then ask questions engage with people learn about it you know, do internships if you can, you know, put yourself in an opportunity to get exposed to it. Um, I learned pretty quickly at a young age, like people will tell you all type of stuff, but like you got to actually go out and like experience it to see if it's something that fits for you. Um, I mean, you know, I, I love what I'm doing because, you know, I, I, I was able to get the passion for it and I got exposed to it and I said, oh, this is something I could do in my life and I could, you know, contribute back to, to doing stuff. And that that's, that was kind of my space. I mean, you know, the thing, Tom, is, you know, you're talking to somebody who grew up speaking another language. My mom mm -hmm. and dad, when I grew up in New York, I spoke Creole and French at home as a, uh, you know, with, with Haitian parents. Um, and I learned English in school, right? And so 
you know, I, I had to learn how to navigate even with those things, even though I was growing up in New York. And, um, you know, I was just exposed. My mom and dad, my, my, my pushed everybody is, you know, I became uh, educated unintentionally because my mom and dad put me around the right people, even though it was probably just trying to keep me off the streets or, you know, you know, just being around folks. But like, you know, my mom's like, okay, if that person wearing the suit, then you need to be with that person wearing the suit. If that person is like doing this, you need, like that was how they did it. And, you know, they, they would, they did through like going to church and stuff like that. And it just so happened that those folks had kids and, you know, I was just in that space and, you know, whatever they did, I did. And so that was kind of how I was able to navigate. I mean, my mom and dad, they worked so much, you know, they were just hard workers you know, work from sunset to sundown and um, and seven days a week, just trying to make sure me and my brothers, you know, just survived. And so, uh, you know, if I, any, any, any um, advice I would say is, you know, one, don't be scared and two, you know, just go out and try. And also the, probably the third thing I think I learned over time is, you know, if there's something you want to be like, go do your research, read people who are in those positions to see what kind of experiences they had in terms of like what their pathways were. So then, you know, that helps you make it more human. So. Yeah. I love that. I love this idea of going out and trying. And I, I hear also that to be intentional, it sounds like your parents were very intentional about exposing you to things as much as they could, putting you around situations where they knew you could learn. And then you adopted that same sort of mindset of how do I intentionally go out and, make my future, make my, uh, make the future version of myself bigger than my past and really go out and seek that. Yeah. I mean, you know, my, my parents, you know, when they came here, you know, they were just trying to get an education. So, but they were pretty clear, like, you know, if I put you guys in spaces that you can be positively influenced or be in spaces where other people, at least in their mind, we're being able to succeed or even though know, other kids were, you know, in this pathway, then, you know, you have a chance. I mean, you know, I could have easily been eaten up by the streets. I would tell folks, you know, um, you know, cause I was like a latchkey kid in a way, you know, so I, uh, you know, was at home after school myself doing those things, but you know, my mom and dad, they just, you know, that was just their view. Okay. You, you guys are home, right? Like go, go, go over here. Go, go to this after school thing. Cause miss, you know, miss H is sending her kids there. You know, so it's like, it was just, it was just how they viewed the world. Um, you know, or, or, or at that time we were wearing clothes. My father, I could remember, uh, he was obsessed about uh, us wearing suits. <laughs> so he's like, uh, you know, you got to wear suits. Cause if you look at the guys you're doing well, they wear suits. <laughs> you know, so all these weird little belief systems my uh, mom and dad had so well not so weird i mean are they as you think about them now are they what i Say said they lesson. don't they don't seem so weird to me and upon reflection i'm wondering do they still seem weird to you no i don't i don't think my um i don't know i mean you know now now that i'm a parent too so i, <laughs> I don't think they're they're weird but you know you like every i guess every parent they want the best for their children and, you know, what they know, they'll try their best to help navigate in that way, regardless of their resources or regardless of their situation. Um, you know, you tend to learn that as you get older, you know, not everybody's situation is the same for a number of reasons, you know, but the reality is, you know, they, they did the best that they knew how. And so they try to maximize those resources in that way. 
Um, you know, I told folks, you know, I, I may have not grown up with like uh, money or anything like that, but I grew up with parents who, you know, taught me to like, you know, you know, have confidence, go try it. You know, if you fail, you, you learn through failure, you know, even though like people talk about those things in some way, I would argue my parents kind of raises that way like without even knowing, right? I mean, cause I, I would argue I've learned through failures just as I learned through successes. I mean, you know, I'm not perfect. And so you just try to make the best of it. And, and also like, you know, engage with people. Um, you know, I know social media takes a, a whole different space on like going to now have conversations versus where, you know, kids now, everybody text messages you and stuff like that. But my mom used to say, well, pick up the phone and call them, just ask them, you know? And so, you know, like little things like that, I, I guess she kind of forced me from not being shy at an early age. So. Yeah. 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 It's, um, it's all the little things that, that make the big difference. And um, a lot of that is actually a great leadership lesson. I think in there, you know, we, when in our work, we talk a lot about the difference between leadership, management, and coaching. Those are three very distinct tools. We tend to, to mix them up in our society. We think they're all yeah. similar. We think they're all the same thing, but they're really not. They're very distinct tools. And, and leadership is fundamentally about the future. And it sounds like your parents always held out a, a big future for you and your, you said brothers, I think, you know, that you guys could, could live into that, that future. And I think that's so, so dearly missing, frankly, in most organizations. That's why so many organizations are, are getting um, this huge turnover and, and losing people and they can't keep people because there's no, there's no real leadership happening. There's lots of management. There's lots of sort of tactical things being done, which is not bad. It's just without that leadership, you, you don't really have a whole lot to, to work with. And I, so I'd love to hear from you on how do you, how do you think about as a superintendent of the, like you said, the second largest school district in Louisiana, how do you think about leadership? Yeah. So, so I always think leadership, uh, similar to what, how you, um, you should, it has, um, like three various spaces, right. Um, you know, one is, uh, you're trying to engage folks into, you know, uh, moving towards a particular direction. Uh, then there's also the mentoring piece. Uh, you know, a lot of mentoring on trying to, um, you know, bring people along in their way, I would say, uh, and also creating pipelines. And then the last thing I think about is, you know, um, probably similar to how you framed it, just coaching, right? You're trying to coach folks to be able to get to a target. Um, in our world, that target is providing kids with opportunities in a lot of different ways to succeed in whatever they want to do, um, and, and kind of leading through that. And I think, like um, you know, distinctly, like they're they're very different. Um, they are actually three different spaces to work in, uh, because you know, as you move up in the organization, you know, you deal with more adults than you do with kids. And so my 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 work, you know, we have about you know forty one thousand plus kids here, six thousand employees, and although you know I go visit you know our eighty three semi schools, the reality is I'm working with adults to help support kids, and I have to always uh, create a space for folks to feel valued, a part of a school system, you know, work with other leaders of leaders, I guess you could say, because they're leading folks to help them engage in order for folks to not only, you know, work and support kids, but also at the same time, make it feel like a connected place. Uh, and, and I think sometimes to be frank with you, it's, it's, it's harder in some spaces versus others, 
just because of the dynamics that are usually around you in that work. Um, I, I always remember that in a, um, I always feel like teaching was probably the most funnest part of the job for my educational way because you know you get to impact the children right away and you get to see that result right in front of you. Uh, but when you start moving up into leadership, working with adults to do that, um, it's a whole different dynamic on the type of environment you have to, to arrange and set up so people can feel good as they're being successful. Um, I mean, I worked for a lot of leaders who used to say, uh, you know, just worry about the kids. But, you know, I've learned over time that, you know, you have to worry about the kids, the families, but also the people that work for you, uh, because it's important for them to to have buy-in and also be able to, um, you know, see the same vision for things that happen. So I think like all of that's a part of the, the leadership work. And and what is, um, is I think you're, is that right? You're about a little less than a year into this? Uh, January is actually gonna make it two years for me. So oh, two years, okay. Yeah, so when I came down, I came from, uh, I was in the DC public schools, uh, um, I was over all the middle middle schools and high schools in Washington, D.C., mm. uh, with workforce development and that stuff. And then uh, when I came in, COVID was full blast. Yeah. I uh, came down in January. I can remember um, coming down here. Uh, uh, D.C. was all locked up and, you know, nobody was going to school. And then when I got to Louisiana, it was like full-blown school going on. <laughs> and uh so, you know, I had to quickly, you know, adapt and, you know, me, you know, figure out, make sure the COVID protocols and those things. And so um, that's, it's been, uh, that's been my experience since. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, so back to that future, back to that vision, what, what is your, your vision for East Baton Rouge? Yeah. So what's important for me is I'm a very um, heavy in the space of getting kids to not only feel connected to be a part of a community, but also to be workforce ready. Um, I really believe that schools should be designed for children to, to be able to, um, you know, go on to that next step around their workforce and uh, whatever they want to do in the workforce. Um, I think like one of the things that I've learned in all the times I've been in schools is that, um, you know, people talk about letter grades or they talk about you know, a child should only read about, I think everything that a child does should be helping them prepare to become better citizens and also to contribute back to the, to the country, right? And I think like going to work is a part of that <laughs> process uh, with independency and all those things. And so uh, my vision has been that we wanna create a, a community and a culture where not only children are connected to the work that we do here, but also that they have uh, the tools necessary for their next step in terms of workforce development. That's really important to us here in Baton Rouge. And, and you said in there, the, uh, better citizens, and I wrote it down here, contributing back to our country. What, what's important to you about that? Yeah, I think like, you know, my, my father used to say a long time ago, um, when my dad came here from Haiti, he used to say, you know, the educated always lead the uneducated. Uh, mm -hmm. And I used to tell my dad, well, what does that mean? He said, well, you know, because when you get an education and you're able to be taught how to think and have these opportunities to do things, like education helps you in a, so many different ways, in ways that you would never think about. And not everybody's fortunate to, to be in that same space. Even though education may be free in our country, 
It's about sometimes, you know, they may not have the same type of access. They may not have the same opportunities. And so that becomes more and more limiting when you don't have education in that space. I mean, I would argue if I didn't, you know, my family or myself, we didn't get any education, you know, how well would we be able to think about, you know, what are the type of things we should do to help contribute back or to help our community or to be better productive citizens? I mean, all those things play a part, but I have the luxury of thinking that way because I got educated so I can be able to, to analyze that and figure out what does that mean for me in that space. And I think that it becomes harder when you have those roadblocks. You know, if you can't read, you don't know, you know, you don't know what things are being said, or if you um, you can't write, you can't articulate, you know, you access becomes a problem. I, I just think like, you know, those basic needs are really important, but I also think like, you know, at the same time, schools should be providing not only those basic things, but also more opportunity for access. And so that they can ultimately be of service to the country. There's some higher purpose there. There's another example of, of leadership. When you give people a sense for what they can contribute, then they tend to step up to that. And I think that's so valuable nowadays because so much of our society is focused on me, 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 you know, what do I get out of this? And that's a pretty hollow life in, in my opinion. What do you think? Oh, no, I agree 100%. I mean, you know, uh, was there was that line they always say, when much is given, much is required, right? And, you know, I think that, you know, whatever opportunity you get or whatever more information that you receive, there's a responsibility you have in some way, shape or form to pay it forward or to do more, right? Um, and I think that, you know, those things sometimes are missing in a lot of different ways. Uh, it could be sometimes, uh, I think, culture impacts it for us, uh, technology impacts it sometimes for us in other ways. But, you know, I think, you know, those, those are the things I think are important for kids uh, to, to do well. Um, you know, we, we live in a great country. I mean, I know sometimes it feels, you know, with all the, the politics and the chaos or whatever goes on, but like, you know, you, you know, I, it's our country is so beautiful and also we meet we have a country that's accepting to so many different type of people right even though there's challenges in the fabric of history and you know even now sometimes i think sometimes they're challenging but for the over, overall you know people are people are good people right i mean if you, you know there's always a goodness in the humane of people and i think that you know that's important for kids to to experience that, you know, and, and see that this world is much bigger than, 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 you know, books. Yeah. Yeah. Or then the most recent tweet about how, how bad things are, you know, when you look at the overall arch of, of history in the last couple thousand years, we, in many ways are sitting on top, you know, we have this, I couldn't agree more this unbelievable freedom in this country and this unbelievable prosperity um, that, has never the world has never seen before and in many ways i think young people aren't aren't being they're not being taught that they're not they're not appreciating what how blessed they are no matter where they are in sort of the the spectrum of of wealth or race or sex or whatever that um fundamentally if you were born in this country you gotta you gotta leg up out of the, out of the gates and uh something to be something to be grateful for and a little bit of hard work and, and you can go a lot of places yeah i mean very very few places in the world where you can 
be born in any class level and you can, you know, reach any heights that you want. I mean, you know, um, you know, my, my mom and dad came from a, you know, Haiti's a third world country. And, um, you know, I always say, if you go to Haiti, there's rich and poor, right? Uh, a whole lot of poverty and you know, there's small little rich. It's not, it's not technically a middle class in Haiti. And, you know, when my parents used to take me out there, um, you know, to, when I was younger and when my grandmother was there, you know, was to, to not only like, go visit, but also like feel, understand like how fortunate we were, right? I mean, mm. you, you had children who could be walking in the streets barefoot with no shoes and those things. I mean, you know, we, we have those type of challenges in our own country, but then you can get out of it, right? In ways of trying to, you know, go, go get a job or, you know, there's a lot of ways you can or get support, right? So uh, support services and those things. Not not every country has that that model and structure, or, or sometimes hey, have the economy to do that. And so, I think there's just, just so much there's so much opportunity we we have. And, and I always try to think about for our kids is like, yeah, not only we want them to like be able to read and do all this stuff, but like how do they know ways that they can create more opportunities for others? Because I do think it's it's about that. Um, how do you create more opportunities for others? And you can only do that, I think, if you're in a space where you, you have more knowledge, you have more opportunity, you have more access. Uh, I think those are the, the main ways to do those things. Yeah, and you're in a, you're in a wonderful position with you know, 6,000 plus employees and 40 some thousand students that you can reach and then the families of those students and the communities of those, those students and families that you can touch, you know, which all gets back to the power of culture. You know, this podcast is called Culture Eats Everything, which is really meant to be kind of fun and a play on Peter Drucker's quote that, that culture eats strategy for breakfast that everyone's familiar with. But we think it's actually bigger than that. The, the culture eats strategy and everything else uh, for breakfast, lunch, and dinner um, sure. and, and dessert. Um, so how do you think about with that many folks that you're able to reach and to lead and to inspire and to motivate how do you think about creating a culture where people can come and be their best? Yeah, so one thing, uh, you know, I have about nine chiefs that work for me. Uh, each chief has a section, you know, from the CFO, chief operating officer, you know, chief of schools. And what I tell them all the time is I do not lead by myself. Yes, when things don't go well, I'm in the papers getting beat up on for a decision or you know, you know, if X happens, you know, you know, I, I'm the guy that that takes the the brunt of that, you know, publicly. But I I tell folks that, you know, if you talk to any of our team members, they'll tell you, I say to them, we lead together. And and a part of that, we are the culture creators and how we create an environment that people feel that they can come to us, um, provide feedback, show how we're responsive to them. Uh, provide guidance where they need guidance or, or, or co-create with them great things. I said, you know, how well we do that determines how well the organization moves. And it also determines how well students do because those folks are helping their teams of people and the teachers underneath them and, you know, uh, to do great work. You know, um, I had one meeting, uh, probably I want to say it was a couple of months ago, when I got 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 in the room and I said to folks that, you know, I said under the nine chiefs, I said, well, 
Do you know out of the 6,000 employees we have, each of those folks fall underneath somebody in this room? And uh, one of the um, chiefs that was there sat back and she looked up and, you know, she's been a part of the district for us. So I never thought about that. And I was like, yeah, every single person that works for kids in this city falls in this room. So, you know, depending on like, how, you know, the type of environment you create, the, the culture you create, how we, you know, uh, how we, you know, the actions we do things, all of that determines how people react underneath you. Right. You may you may not think about that because, you know, sometimes they were like, well, I, you know, um, she, I remember her telling me, I want to think about my direct reports. So I said, yeah, but underneath your direct reports, you get like thousands of other people. Right. So and I think that uh, that uh, sparked a little something in her. But I but I, I, I tell folks like, you know, uh, really, for me, I find this job, I'm, I'm much more of the educational facilitator of education for our city. And what I'm trying to do is facilitate environments for opportunities so we can have um, our folks help lead the different various people underneath us to help teachers do a better job with kids or a better job with our families or do a better job with community stakeholders, you know, or faith-based, whatever group that works with the school district. And so that has always been how I've learned to lead. That doesn't mean you don't have you know, conversations around, you know, focusing on what your target is or, you know, trying to say, hey, how to, you know, learning from your lessons on what, what you could do better. But it does mean that, you know, you, you have the opportunity to create an environment that people feel that it's much more productive and that they feel that they belong to. Um, I've learned in a lot of places I work, once people feel that they belong to a place, it's much harder for them to leave a job because they feel like they're a part of that fabric. Um, and so you just have to keep figuring out what are the ways to create that environment and then make them a part of helping you continue that environment, creating underneath them or whatever their sphere of influence is. I love that. I love that. This whole idea of, of really belonging, you know, which is becoming more popular with, uh, Brene Brown's work, you know, that fundamentally you're talking about how do we create this fabric that that extends throughout the entire organization where we feel like we all belong and we all can contribute to to making things better for the for the students we serve. Um, and I also love that you said that you see yourself as sort of the facilitator, you know, that you're the conductor. There's a great book by uh, Max Dupree called Leadership Jazz, and he uh, makes that same analogy that really, you know, a leader is really a conductor almost of a symphony. And sometimes it's loud and chaotic, and sometimes it's quiet and methodical, and sometimes it's repetitive, and sometimes it's fast. And, and then ultimately, you've got to make all these moving parts come together. But in jazz, it's freeform. You know, there's a lot of freeform in it. So there's not a, there's not a script, there's not a template that you're you can go and say, oh yeah, how am I supposed to lead this play, right? It's uh, as a leader, we have to be willing to, to make some stuff up sometimes. <laughs> so um, we're running out of time and, and as we always do, it's, it's, uh, it flies by. Um, so maybe I'll ask you um, for your book recommendation. You know, what, what book really made an impact on you in your life when it comes to leading or when it comes to culture, or maybe it's just a, a book that you think is phenomenal that you'd love to share with the audience here? 
Yeah, the 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 one book I read, um, the one of many books I read, but one book that changed my whole um, life and also just how I saw just myself and my role is in schools and jobs. And it was a book uh, by the Arbinger Institute. It's called Leadership and Self-Deception. Hmm. And um, if you ever get a chance to read, I won't give you the whole thing, but it talks, you know, gives gives a story through a journey of like, you know, folks getting along together to try to learn uh, about how they engage with each other. And, um, you know, there's different camps in there, but but the, the, the reason it made an impact on me is when I got through it, you know, you can deceive yourself in a lot of different ways when you do these jobs in terms of like not knowing who you are and being humble and learning to lead from the, the mind and the heart versus where sometimes, you know, people tend to just lead tactically about things. Uh, and, you know, it's about what kind of impact you want to have not only overall from the sense of like the job, but also is from a humane standpoint. And I know it's not like your typical educational book, but that made such a difference in me. I was like, wow, I wish I read this like in college <laughs> because you know, you're know you young and you know you got all these ideas about what you think life is and, and how things are. And then you get older and you start to see things a, a little bit differently, you know, from your being with, you know, your partner and in your, you know, you're, you're having kids and all those things. And, and that, that book just really helped me a lot in terms of how I, I started to think about leadership and how to not deceive myself or, or there's a term you read in the book called putting yourself in a box, right? And how, you know, if you're in the box, you can't provide support to folks, you know, and how do you determine what red flags are so you're not in the box so you can start thinking about how you can, you know, better support people, you know, and, uh, it, it, it was just, I mean, you know, if, I, I would, if it was up to me, I would make that as a requirement as a part of the curriculum for any leader to go through that book. Um, the Arbinger Institute, they actually have a few books. There's another one called The Anatomy of Peace that they wrote. And so I've kind of gone through their, their sectors of their books, but it, it, it made such a huge difference in my life around how I just approach people how I approach things within myself. Um, I think it made me a better leader uh, uh, today than I ever have. So um, that would be my, my recommendation. Yeah, well, I love it. Leadership and self-deception. That's, that's an awfully appealing title right out of the gate there. Um, well, thank you. And not just thank you for the time today, but also just thank you for the work that you do and behalf of the 6,000 people and the 41,000 plus students you represent. Um, it's just a, an honor to know there are humble leaders like out, like you out there doing this important work. So thank you. Thank you so much, Tom.